0: Hi, this is Andy, and thank you for joining me for the Next Stage Radicals podcast, where each month I'm joined by a Next Stage Radical, someone who is hands-on in the work of discovering new and better ways of working, challenging the conventions of Management 1.0 in order to move the world of work to the next stage. In each episode, I invite my guests to share their warts and all stories about what works and what doesn't, and what it's taking for them to make work, work better. This month's radical is Adrian Brown. Adrian is Executive Director at the Centre for Public Impact and has over 15 years experience working on government performance and transformation in the UK and internationally. He's held a range of positions in the UK government, including stints at the Prime Minister's delivery unit, the strategy unit, and as a policy advisor in the Prime Minister's office. In his work at the Centre for Public Impact, he's helping others to reimagine government in ways that embrace complexity, value relationships, and prioritise learning. Good morning, Adrian. It's a real pleasure to have you here. How are you today?
1: I'm really good, Andy, and and it's great to be uh, chatting with you. I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation.
0: Me too, brilliant. Well, look, without further ado, shall we get straight into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, so you know where I like to start these um, podcasts. Um, What's your radical idea or vision?
1: Well, perhaps the best way to answer that is to say what the Centre for Public Impact is about because that's really how um, I suppose the vision that not just I but that a group of us have been shaping over the last few years uh, is uh, best represented, I think. And at CPI, uh, which is the organisation I run, we're interested in reimagining government, as you said in in your introduction. Um, And that's because we think that... uh, The way that many governments and public bodies currently work and have historically organized themselves and thought about the world is based on a quite traditional, uh, mechanistic, hierarchical, economic view of the world and how to make change happen. And whilst that has been successful in um, achieving certain degrees of progress, you might say, um, when faced particularly with the kinds of complex and um, sort of meta challenges that we face today and climate change would be sort of a number a number one example of that the old ways of working the old ways of thinking just aren't sufficient and if government is to play the role that we need it to play uh, in the coming years as society faces what i think many people would agree are radical transformations or unavoidably radical transformations then government is going to have to reimagine how it how it thinks about its role and how it thinks about how it how it affects change or its role in helping to catalyze change so our radical vision is uh to try and reimagine government every everywhere i should say so we have we're a global global foundation so we have a team in the UK, a team in the US, Australia, India. I actually live in Sweden, so we're we're interested in government at all levels and in all places. We think um, reimagining is is what's required. Fantastic.
0: And um, can you give us some clues in in what ways do we need to reimagine it? So, in order to cope with the complex
1: challenges we've got, what are the sorts of shifts that that need to take place? Yeah. So one one way i've talked about this in the past is to think about um the difference between being and doing uh and uh, if we many people might, will be familiar with this metaphor but the iceberg metaphor where what's above the surface the the doing is uh the the activities and actions we can see and are visible uh and what's beneath the surface uh, which which you could call the being, is the values and the beliefs and the assumptions that underp- underpin those activities. And a lot of the debate, and you could apply that model to, to people or to organisations, and, and I've applied it uh, in the past to, to thinking about governments as a whole and public bodies as a whole. And a lot of the debate about how we reform governments and how we reform the public Service has focused on the what's visible, what's above the waterline. So the activities, how do we measure, how do we incentivize, how do we organize, how do, what are the structures and the processes? And the, and that's important. Clearly, that's important because those are the things that that we can see and actually sort of are making change happen in the world. But what we believe is equally as important, if not more so, are the values and the beliefs and the assumptions that are underpinning those activities. So what we're arguing for, we're interested in how, for example, we might think differently about measurement or how we might think differently about structures in government. So we can talk about that if that's of interest. But you can change the structures, you can change the processes, you can change the tools. If you don't change the values and the beliefs and the principles upon which they are founded, they they won't actually change very much, we don't believe. So the changes we're really interested in are how can we... Um, encourage our our governments and public systems to to reconceptualize what it is they are about and and what uh, how they think about changing the world and the problems in the world that they're trying to tackle and that would include for example shifting from thinking about people as sort of recipients of services or taxpayers or you know atomized individuals and thinking out people as whole human beings with with feelings and and value their their own values and their own um aspirations and hopes and all the rest of it and thinking them holistically that's just an example of one one shift so we think there's there are shifts at quite a deep level that we're that we're trying to explore and encourage that then lead to um we believe different ways of organizing and different ways of Uh, tools and approaches that which is the the doing stuff you see above the surface
0: yeah yeah and I I guess it's possibly worth pointing out for listeners that may not be aware but previous podcast guest Toby Lowe who talked about human learning systems works Mm. with you at CPI doesn't he so there's a connection there
1: he does yeah so I, I I'm going to try to avoid just repeating some of the stuff that Toby said so I you know if listeners haven't heard that episode I'd recommend going back and listening to Toby because I'll probably be talking on a, a one level above what what Toby's work covers but yeah exactly so Toby um I've known for a few years and a couple of years ago I recognized that the direction he was heading was very similar to the direction we were heading at CPI and uh, uh, invited him to come and join the team so yeah so human learning systems is a great example of this thinking um Packaged, packaged in a way that is really uh, accessible and practical and with tons of case studies to back it up, um, which is often what people, when people hear me talk in sort of highfalutin way, they say, well, this all sounds very ethereal and, uh, <laughs> and sort of not connected to reality. And HLS is a way that this act, the, the rubber hits the road with something like HLS, it shows you how it connects to reality.
0: Cool. So I'll maybe put some links to that below the podcast when we publish But um, So if you don't mind just jumping back a second, um, you gave the example a moment ago of how we might need to rethink, uh, or how I heard it was how we might need to rethink almost like the role of the citizen, see them as whole human beings, not just recipients of service. That, that seems to imply mm. A corresponding shift in the role of government and public agencies can
1: just talk about that for a second,
0: how, how does their role shift or their purpose.
1: Yeah, exactly so. Um, you know, a metaphor that often uh, is either explicitly or, or implicitly used when we think about the state. Uh, and public services is is a mechanistic. So a machine, uh, and it's a machine that we can tinker with and um, sort of swap out the cogs of, and try to make as efficient as possible. And it's and, and in that metaphor, I suppose the recipients of services are either sort of the the people that kind of mutely receive whatever pops out of this machine, or are actually a cog, you know, a small little cog in this in this giant machine. Uh, but in, but that metaphor, of course doesn't say anything about interdependence, about a systems way of thinking, about uh, individuals' own agency. Um, It it, it just downplays all of that stuff. Um, And to the extent that that kind of mechanistic thinking has been embedded in all of our organisations, we find it and and even sort of our own day-to-day language when we talk about, you know, using levers of power or, um, uh, you know, the whole concept of maximization and efficiency really is derived from the same sort of mechanistic worldview. To the extent that that shapes our thinking, we find it difficult, and our organizations certainly find it difficult to think of people as people because we think of them as like just a... uh, uh, an outcome or an output or a service user or trans- the, the the counterparty in a transaction, um, and that's probably okay if you're making Model T Fords, you know, uh, but it's probably not okay if you're trying to um, support someone who's struggling with mental health issues, uh, and. The state seems to, or the way governments tend to approach issues tends to make it more difficult to do the kinds of work that I know you are very um, connected with, and and most people who work in public services are connected with. They they find there's a dissonance between what they're trying to do and what the system is sort of incentivizing and encouraging them to do. So trying to work out how to. Um, uh, sort of reverse engineer what's what's the kind of state, what's the kind of public institutions or public services that we need that would actually enable and facilitate and encourage those kinds of behaviors that would treat people as whole human beings rather than making it more difficult to do that uh, is the question, you know it's a, it's a tough question, but that's the question we're asking.
0: Mm-hmm. And you started also with the example of climate change and I guess i'm I'm wondering, can you just help us connect how, I guess, the sorts of services and situations you've described around things like mental health and so on, which obviously Mm -hmm. have a very person-centered focus versus climate change, which feels much bigger.
1: Where are you seeing the connections between those things? Well, climate change is, um, in fact, until recently, I've thought of climate change as a a great example of a complex problem that the state and and in fact, society is so far ill-equipped to to really wrestle with. But more recently, my my thinking's shifted a little bit on this, which is to recognize, I suppose, to acknowledge, and this is something that we're all having to do. uh, And it's kind of a, it's a difficult thing to acknowledge, I suppose, but that uh, whether we like it or not climate, the implications of of the climate emergency are going to require us to radically restructure societies and not in like 50 years, but in the next 10, 20 years, I have two, I have a seven year old and a five year old. And before they get to adulthood, it's difficult to imagine that we're not going to have to see some radical, radical changes in society. And given that, um, Gov- go- given that government has a unique role in society to to both help um, create the conditions that will allow us to better navigate these transitions, and they themselves are part of the transition, um, I think the narrative now more is that you know re- there will be a reimagining, if you want to put it that way. So reimagining government isn't an option. <laughs> Yeah. And reimagining society isn't an option, um, and given that, how should we proceed? So it, it becomes less of a kind of well, this is a nice thing that radical people might choose to do, which, which you know, and I, I know you know the name of this podcast, right? It's like we're, we're, we're the, the, supposed to be the radicals. Well, ra- if if radical is if radical transformation is is going to be normalised, then we all have to. Everything has to become um, radical in that sense. We have to be willing to embrace the radical. Um, and that's that's how I now see climate climate change fitting in. Um, it so I think you, the sort of service level example when we talk about mental health or aging or any of the other examples of services which are particularly prone to, the kinds of conflicts and tensions that, that we've been talking about. Those are really good kind of case examples of how this thinking can help. But in a sense, they diminish the... Th- there's a risk that that kind of boxes it in to say, well, yeah, this is great for social care. This is great for... So- let's do it for social care. Well, actually, I believe th- the types of change we're talking about are necessary for societal transformation and also existential (laughs) reasons, right? Um, Without, and and, and I know this all sounds very uh, hyperbolic, so I don't want to sound too radical. I don't know if I could be too radical for your podcast, but you know, this, these changes, I believe we can, we're sort of rehearsing the arguments now within us at a service level, but it's societally that we'll have to actually embrace these changes in the not too distant future yeah yeah.
0: thank you for that answer i mean I, i you saw me nodding away there i i strongly agree i mean i i find the one of climate change particularly interesting because it seems to me that um in many ways it brings out a lot of the lessons we've learned at a service level around you know um the blend between freedom and responsibility and how uh, humanizing the relationship between services and people that we would once have called service users leads to better outcomes for all. Um, On the other hand, I think it poses some questions if you like, because I think I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you know, I think what we've learned there is that traditional management mechanisms like target setting um, really don't help. Um, And yet, when we look at the climate emergency there are questions around whether actually having some of those you know high level goals mm-hmm. like electrifying cars by 2030 or whether you know there's a different currency there I'm mm. uh, just interested if you've got any insights on that
1: yeah well I, I I'd link that back to the con the being doing concept right which is it's actually the tools themselves targets are not in them, are a neutral um, device, right? It's how how, and in what circumstances they are deployed, and crucially, the assumptions and mindsets and beliefs that underpin that. So if we believe, for example, um, that, and this is a trap that, that, that lots of organizations fall into, that the metrics are telling us the truth as in you know, 90%, you know, 90% of reality has been captured, or what we're interested in has been captured by these numbers. That belief, I think, is flawed in most, in most you know, situations of any complexity at all. Um, but if we proceed on the basis of that belief, then these targets quickly become extremely dysfunctional and counterproductive. However, if we recognize that when we have when we have metrics, they are one window into the complex, messy reality of, of the world that we need to um, treat as you know data points within a universe of other information, of stories, and of uh, symbols and culture and everything else that can give us a clue as to what's going on. Then it's actually you know it's it's not illegitimate to have some numbers on some things. I think though if if we think about the climate debate you can see the same thing happening which is if we um if we focus on if 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 we focus on the high level targets that doesn't necessarily help us understand what kind or at all what's the societal transformation that's going to be implied by all of this it it, it doesn't it doesn't tell us the kinds of conversations and trade-offs and winners and losers and everything that there's so much complexity underneath that and so you know that so many more conversations to be had that the risk is if we just all focus on well we're going to have electrified the vehicles by 2030 that we think and I know I, I know that not, it's not necessarily the case that people genuinely think it's but you can almost have the sense that oh that's it mm. but that's not that's not that's not it at all that's just one thing um so so yeah i mean targets i i always come back to the idea that it's what's the what are the the the, the beliefs and, mindset and assumptions that are underpinning our use of things like targets mm, yeah. um, and are those likely to be productive and sort of generative in the long run or are they short-termist mechanistic ways of thinking
0: absolutely and so we're building on that slightly so beliefs values uh assumptions etc so you mentioned uh a moment ago the you know the henry ford um example and you know that i guess you know looking back in history there or thereabouts is where a lot of modern management has come from um mm-hmm. so so just thinking about yourself and your own sort of journey of learning uh, have you always thought the way that you're describing now or have you sort of uh, have you changed your perspective from where you started if so how uh,
1: so I, I definitely haven't always thought this way um my background is I started my career as a management consultant and uh, at, at McKinsey and learned a lot of the McKinsey way of Thinking, which is which is very, or at least back then, which is quite a few years ago, is very um, uh, base. It's based on the idea that you can break problems down into their constituent parts and kind of solve solve those different bits and add them up and and come up with with solutions. Um, and uh, and I also spent, had a stint, as you mentioned in your introduction, working at the what was called the Prime Minister's Delivery Unit in the in the Cabinet Office, which. I applied a very target-driven approach. This was under Blair's, in Blair's second term, to think reducing waiting times in hospitals and uh, improving GCSE results and other outcomes like that. So I've, um, during that period, I suppose I was, um, was a workable approach. And given the fact that, you know, waiting lists were long and um, uh, obviously there were improvements could be, uh, you know, seem to be happening in public services, then all of this seem to be working. Um, I guess it was more recently since we, since we sort of set up CPI that we started to inquire more deeply about how those approaches actually work. started to learn more about and, and recognize uh, the complexity of of how complexity interacts with sort of more more simplistic approaches like targets, um, and then and then seeing what what people were talking about as alternatives to that. So and and quite quickly, um, CPI as a, as an organization, we we started to orient towards our mission became sort of exploring what these other ways of thinking about. About government and public administration could look like, and so I—that's—that's that's my journey, as reflected, I suppose, through the different entities and and organisations that I've I've worked with and been involved with, and the types of people I've met along that journey. So, and my thinking still evolving. You know, I I know that um we're we it still feels like we're uh we're grasping for better ways of. Of talking about what this transformation looks like that are clearer and easier for people to understand, that can bring people along. I mean, I think it is a big issue that uh, the danger with some of the ways we talk about this is it alienates everybody who spent their whole career working on the <laughs> the old way of thinking, um, which I completely understand. Um, uh, so we, we're, st- I'm still learning. We're still learning at CPI. In fact, we describe ourselves now increasingly as a learning partner. We, we what we don't. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but we want to work with others who are interested in going on this journey and sort of learn alongside them, um, and, and you know I include myself in that.
0: Real well. So talk to us about that then for a minute. The the learning alongside people. So who are you learning alongside, and you know where where are you seeing um, this getting traction, and what does that look like in practice?
1: um so as as i mentioned earlier we we've, we've got teams we've got a europe team based out of london we've got a a north america team um based out of washington dc and then a couple of people in australia new zealand and someone in india now and in all those places actually this conversation plays out slightly differently because of the different histories and different and different um setups of public of public administration and government in the, in those places um, so in the UK, uh, in, which is a conversation you're very connected in with, there is a really um, a really interesting movement of which HLS is is part uh, of people, particularly at the local level, in local authorities or, or local commissioners of different sorts, who who want to explore what this looks like. So we're finding there is some real take up and real pull from. Um, from that level, actually, uh, in the US, we've done a lot of work with cities, um, which which are constitutionally set up differently. In the sense that they often, cities and states have more more under their direct control than than in a than a North place like the UK. Um, but again, you know, forward thinking mayors and and their teams um, are definitely interested in in how some of these ideas can um, can help them. Um, so it it does play out differently in different places what we've I think what it's fair to say is that it still feels like we're talking to um, a relatively small constituency within the grand scheme of things so there are relatively few places where you you might say these are mainstream ideas Um, a lot of people talk about Finland as, as an example of a of a whole you know it's a small country but but at the national level um real engagement with with issues of complexity and, and learning as part of a vision for the state um but, but that's the exception rather than the rule so it still feels like we're, we're often talking to a team within a within a wider organization or or at best a sort of one local body rather than the whole uh, the whole system yeah.
0: And I guess, I mean, I guess we would expect that given that these aren't the ideas that this sort of way of working has started with, you know, you mentioned Henry Ford and so on. So there's got to be a point of transition. I think also you mentioned, mm-hmm. in the climate example, there's a point of looming necessity. So um, so do you have a view on how you see this playing out over the next 10, 15 years or, or you know, what yeah, I mean, but, what what are you predicting and what are you trying
1: to catalyze there um it's a good uh, it's a good question because of course it's an extremely difficult difficult one to answer i wouldn't want to pretend i have any special insight or prediction as to what's going to happen next um but i suppose in general terms it's hard to imagine in the next decade or two whether it's as a response to the climate crisis, or or and or a response to the growing concerns around racial uh, injustice, economic inequality, um, not to not to mention you know wild card things like COVID happening. Um, it feels like there are, and of course, inequality and climate are connected, so it's not to say that these are separate issues, but it feels like there is an inevitability over the next decade or two that we will come up against um, the realities of of the emergency that, that we face for, from a climate perspective, but from those other perspectives too. And we will reach tipping points within societies that will require all of our institutions to offer something new. Now, whether that happens through the political process or whether that happens through um, markets radically shifting or whether that happens through social movements, it, probably all of those in different ways in different places. I suppose my my hope is that we can, through work we do now, we can be as best placed as we can be to really respond positively to those shifts. And for governments in particular, to be able to help societies navigate those transitions mm. purposefully, and in a way that encourages human flourishing Rather than the sort of doomsday version of this, is that it leads to polarization. You know, and in a sense, we see this playing out as well: increased polarization, increased, decreasing levels of trust, decreasing levels of trust and legitimacy in our institutions, particularly our political institutions, and a loss of the mechanisms that will allow us to think. And act collectively, um, and that would be, you know, that that is a very scary proposition, I suppose. So, um, so yeah, we're, we we at CPI are playing our small part in sort of trying to trying to identify what a better way could look like, without pretending we have all the answers, mm. so that we can start practicing that and try and get ahead of this, even if it's just a little bit before you know all of our hands are forced by. Whichever of these looming emergencies sort of hits first.
0: Yeah, yeah. well that that makes sense. I mean, it, it, it resonates with my view as well that it's not going to come from one place, but we can make sure each place is a little bit down the road when when the shift has to happen. I, I mean, ironically, some of the scary stuff you mentioned—you know, polarization, loss of trust, etc.—there's a way to view that. Positively, as well, but that's a sign that the system's becoming unsustainable and that it's gonna to have to shift um so maybe just to perhaps mm. invite a a positive uh spin for a second i'm I'm interested in you know what gets you out of bed in the morning gets you excited in this work are there things going on that you you really feel you've got the wind in your sails and um and it's exciting um
1: well. I, I do feel that we are um and, and it's, through, it's through conversations like this and we you know people like you Andy that give me a sense that we're not heading in the wrong direction in, in this in that in our own our own inquiry and the things that we're pushing for because we do it within government and public administration at CPI but you can see the same kind of move, see the same kinds of movements who are challenging um how we think about um political debate and democracies um so it feels like there are there are a lot of different um movements that are pushing in the same kind of direction uh and that gives me the hope and you know the and as you say it gets me out of bed in the morning that we we're not just kind of mad we are we are we are trying to take positive steps in the direction that other people do recognise as being helpful, and um, and it, it and it does feel very important and meaningful, and um, you know, like we can make a difference, albeit a small one, from our from our particular vantage point. But uh, that's you know, I feel great privilege to be able to do a job and lead an organisation like CPI that is mission oriented and um you know has a purpose that is so you know feels uh feels so important and um and worthwhile so yeah yeah absolutely um
0: so now I don't want to take us into the doom loop but I I feel I have to ask the question so if we if we imagine ourselves those 20 30 whatever years in the future and the shift that we both feel is so necessary hasn't happened or hasn't happened sufficiently but what do you th- first of all maybe do you think that's even possible do you think the necessity is so overwhelming that it just will happen regardless uh but maybe secondly if it is possible what what are the things that we're not doing now or that aren't happening now that would explain
1: that so what what's the stuff we really need to get animated mm-hmm. about as i said in relation to climate, you know, climate's the most obvious example of this it's an irresistible force right it's not it's not going to, going to change the story isn't going to change dramatically in the next 10 or 20 years uh in terms of the, the trajectory that we're already on um so change of one sort or another will happen we might have thought at the beginning of the pandemic is an this is a whole of humanity thing and it's an opportunity for us as a global community to really kind of wrap our arms around each other and say we're going to together we need to work together in order to in order to really address this but but what actually happened is it in the reverse almost we whilst we we've had a lot of good collaboration it's also completely polarized societies different countries have gone in completely different directions um, there's a lot of zero sum thinking taken place, and we've, you know, largely our institutions, whether it, you know of, of multinational institutions or the or the national institutions, have have not actually have have, dis- have it's been a bit disappointing, frankly, in terms of how how the response has looked. Right, um, a lot and a lot of mistakes have been made, of course, um, but it's it it hasn't felt um, yeah, it felt like we could have done a lot better, I suppose, mm. collectively. Um, and I think if if we take that as a as a rehearsal here, what we might then find is that di- the the these crises that are coming down the track are going to lead to societies um, following quite different directions, based on quite different beliefs, almost about the world and within those societies probably quite different factions emerging who who will find it difficult to resolve uh, their beliefs about the about the world as well. Um, so it, it probably will be the case that the types of things we're talking about will happen, in some places and and not in others Mm. um and and then we'll see i suppose you know whether what we believe to be the case which is you know this more human and and systems oriented way of thinking about things is better or not i suppose um so so yeah i think i think on the positive side we'll it seems unlikely to me that it's, that it's not going to find any purchase anywhere, but I'd be very surprised if it, if it's sort of universally, uh, universally true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that feels like it,
0: it sort of has to be the case, doesn't it? You know, um, I guess there's no utopia immediately on the other side of this. Um, Hmm. but for sure an opportunity to model different possibilities. So um, I think that is exciting. So, so maybe before I start to pull this to a close, um, I think an undercurrent through our conversation is that this isn't easy work. You know, this is mm-hmm. uh, it's purposeful work. It's necessary. There's excitement to be had and uh, value to be created, but it's certainly not easy. So um when it feels like hard work to you do, do, do doubts creep in or you know what, what's the shadow side of this for you and and how do you sort of work on that and cope with that
1: oh well, you're going deep here andy
0: <laughs> you can just refuse to answer the question you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's a it's a good question um i said before we started recording that i've just come back from from holiday so you know one i think it's important you know in all seriousness that uh that everybody you know not just people involved in this kind of work but everybody uh looks after them, themselves and their own well-being um in order to be effective because the types of things we're talking about can feel of course are overwhelming and hard to even conceptualize, um, and the work can be difficult, can be tra- trauma- traumatic, traumatizing in a sense. Um, so it is important that that we take responsibility for our own well-being and and health and mental health as we as we pursue these ideas. Um, You know, one thing we haven't talked about, which which has incre- which we're increasingly exploring at, at CPI, is the concept of sense making,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which is the idea that um, in order to really make progress with an issue, you first need to understand it on, on some level, and um, one of the reasons why we might see the increased polarization and and dislocation uh, happening uh, within societies is because we've we have lost or are going backwards on our ability to do collective sense making which is to have a shared understanding of what it is we are facing the, the world around us um, and so what we're What we're interested in at CPI is how how can can we um, encourage more sense-making in the world at at all levels? So whether that's as an individual, but right up to sort of institutions and societies as a whole. Um, Because it is only through, I think, a better, open, collective, shared willingness to... Seek a deeper understanding um, through different ways. Different, there are lots of different ways of encouraging sense making, but you know, through, through an open and sort of uh, uh, learning-oriented mindset, uh, that we that 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 we can start this journey from a from a solid foundation. Um, and I think it also, the reason I mention it here is I think sense-making in a, has an aspect of sort of mindfulness about it, a, a, a mindfulness practice, which um, I think gives helps to give us collectively a, um, yeah, I, I suppose a stronger psychological foundation upon which we can upon which we can work um and whether we're talking about that ind- as individuals or as teams or as organizations or societies as a whole i think that f- that feels like you know if there's one thing missing in the world at the moment it's it's a being able to better make sense of the world around us collectively in a way that is productive and positive
0: yeah thank you for that as well uh, again it was really resonating with lots of things i feel i've Sort of learned or unlearned along the way um in my own work because i'm increasingly interested personally in um you know the the role of almost self transformation uh, within that also self-care in terms mm-hmm. of affecting this sort of change whether it's in institutions communities you know globally whatever um, And I suppose like a lot of the things we've talked about, you know, it's not just one thing, is it? It's how all these things um, mirror off each other to create a shift. Um, But it definitely seems to me that, that, you know, if I think back across this series of podcasts, talking to people, each individual at some point has reflected on how this work requires them to, um, in some ways, look after themselves, but also to do that um, very often in, Uh, in community with others not to feel alone in the work Um, Hmm. so so maybe just taking our lead from that um, people that are maybe listening to this um, and are intrigued in terms of how they can kind of be involved or explore this work or maybe they're already doing it and they want to connect to people like you that are doing it um, do you have any advice from your experience for you know
1: what would you say to them um, well very tactically and practically if they're interested in the work we're doing at CPI then absolutely invite them to get in touch with us our website is centreforpublicimpact.org and on Twitter we're at CPI underscore foundation um, and uh, we're, we're always interested to hear from folk who are exploring this, these kinds of ideas directly, or, or, or interested in being pointed in, in the direction of where other resources can be found. And so, so that's one sort of very practical uh, suggestion. Um, more more generally, though, I think you know, the, the good aspect of, uh, of podcasts like this one is it, it does help create a connection and a community for people itself, right? Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of good, there's so many good thinkers and writers and podcasts out there that are in one way or another talking about, talking about this stuff um and so and because i think it is a uh it does feel like we are wor- working at the edge here working at the boundaries it's constantly changing and and people are constantly exploring new frontiers and developing new ideas the uh you know the internet actually lends itself very well to, to to be able to access, to constantly be made aware of and access this thinking as it's emerging sort of live and through the, the conversations on social media and the rest so you know I, I, I imagine a lot of your listeners are already plugged into this but I certainly get a lot of stimulation from seeing what other, seeing how other people are thinking about this and the kinds of discussions and debates that are taking place um, and feeling that that yeah, this isn't this isn't just something that that you are f- stuck on your own doing. I think, you know, Toby talks about that sense of a dissonance between what you believe to be the case and the your the world around you or the, the situation you find yourself in, and um, realizing that you feeling that dissonance is not an odd thing or a, a, a or something that you only are feeling. Lots of us are feeling that in different ways, in different places and different for different reasons. Um, But it's through by. By using that dissonance to stimulate the types of conversation that we're having here, um, you know, it's exciting where we can where we can take it. So I hope that's how people feel and they don't feel just sort of like they're on their own on this because they're not
0: yeah yeah well that that reminded me of a previous guest jose leal who um i have to say i'm a, a huge fan of but he, he talks about that that feeling that so many of us perhaps all of us have somewhere in our gut that says there's something just not quite right and it feels like yeah recognizing that maybe we all feel that is the call to action mm. uh, and and to, to borrow your words you know a, a, an opportunity for a bit of collective sense making around where's that coming from and what can we do mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. so in that spirit you've you've offered a couple of ways people can connect and um, find out more and so on I know as well we've got a, a plan on Friday 8th of October to have an hour mm-hmm. together that people can join in with yeah. Um we've not nailed down exactly what we're going to do in that hour but the titles exploring aloud so I suppose a great opportunity for people to sort of spend time collective sense making with you around these issues.
1: Exactly. And that is um it's those types of conversations that are often the richest ones. Um uh, and, and not being too specific about where where it where we wanted to go is is often the best way, right, as you know. So um yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, me too. Brilliant. Well look I'm going to draw us to a close, but I feel like I ought to give you the opportunity to to sort of say anything that you feel you haven't had a chance to say. So what's the question I haven't asked that I should have asked um, or anything else you'd like to share?
1: I, I think you've done a very good job, Andy. So I'm not sure, <laughs> I feel like I've said too much already. So um, I'm not sure there's anything, uh, there's anything big I'd like to add but just to just to thank you for the opportunity to to be on to be to have this conversation with you and to, and to share some of my ideas and and there's always a risk with with this kind of format that it makes it sort of sets me up as like somebody that's got lots of answers and <laughs> because you ask me the questions and i have to provide the answers but um i if there's one thing i'm increasingly acutely aware of is how little I know and understand about about a lot of this stuff and so you know I off, I offer all of the things I've said today in the spirit of um me trying to learn I suppose and uh, and that's why I'm looking for very much look forward to that conversation in October um and uh yeah and if anyone wants to get in touch with me personally after after hearing this then uh, then of course they're welcome to as well fab Thank you.
0: I mean, you're you're probably overly humble there, but we are a frontier, aren't we? So we're all learning on mm. this. I think it's it's entirely appropriate to see what you've said. Um, well, it, um, it's been my genuine pleasure to have you on here. So thank you again for being prepared to do it. I'm looking forward to that session in October. Um, For any listeners wanting to find out more about that, I will put links below the podcast to it, but you can also find details at www.nextageradicals.net forward slash events and um, you can register to join there. Um, Adrian, thanks so much. Um, I look forward to talking again in the future.
1: Thanks, Andy. Really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts and reflections, so please tweet me at NextRadicals or get in touch at Nextstageradicals.net. There you'll also find hundreds of posts and podcasts, sketch notes and stories, reports and resources, which Next Stage Radicals like you have shared as they explore what it takes to make work work better.